Welcome back to School of Science Radio. I'm Gino Ganello, joined again by Matthew Chandler this week, um, and a recurring guest, uh, Tom Mal- Mallows. I, f- I forget how I said it last time. Is it Mallows or Mallows, Tom? Mallows. Mallows? Okay, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> perfect. Um, from the Royal Mersey page. Tom, how are you doing today? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Yeah, good to be back. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, we got a lot to break down today. A lot of... Um, kind of to wrap up the transfer window, talk about some Everton news. Obviously, there aren't, uh, there haven't been any games over the past week because of the international break, so we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about the Liverpool game coming up this coming weekend. Uh, but first, we will start with that transfer news. Um, obviously, the first of two transfer deadlines uh, ended on Octo- October uh, 5th at 11 p.m. British Standard Time. Um, over here in America, it was, I think it was 6 p.m.? Um, that's the transfer deadline for Premier League clubs to uh, move between Premier League clubs or obviously to uh, abroad uh, because they have the, uh, the same deadline. Um, the deadline for English football clubs to sign domestic players and Premier League clubs to buy from English clubs, uh, English football league uh, clubs, is this Friday. So still some time to get some players in, but most of the business wrapped up. Um, just to break it down a little bit, the ins, we obviously have Allen from Napoli for 22 million pounds, Niels and Kunku from Marseille for 250k, um, James Rodriguez from Real Madrid on a free, Abdullah Decore from Watford at 20 million pounds, Imam Jagni, not entirely sure how to say his last name yet, but I'm sure we will learn it. Uh, undis- undisclosed fee, Ben Godfrey from Norwich for 20 million pounds, and, and Robin Olsen from Roma. Uh, on the loan, the goalkeeper uh, that we signed there uh, just on the deadline. And then, of course, um, outs Morgan Schneiderlin to Nice, uh, Martin, Schneider, Martin Stecklenburg to Ajax, Kieran Dowell to Norwich, um, Umar Nias and Kuka Martina were released, Clayton Baines retired, um, and then, you know, Jabril Sidibe was the end of his loan, and then uh, Morgan Feeney off, Luke Garbutt off, Fraser Hornby off, uh, Sandra Ramirez out. Um, and then some loans with Nathangelo Markello, Lewis Gibson, Dennis Adnanirin, um, Moise Keane, and Theo Walcott. So a lot of it, a lot of ins and outs, a lot of business this window. Um, let's talk about, we've, we've discussed a lot of the uh, earlier business, but we haven't got to discuss the tra- trade uh, transfer deadline um, business. So let's talk about the ins and the transfer deadline. Ben Godfrey, obviously the big name there. Uh, Tom. What's your opinions on uh, him and, I guess, the other three, Olsen and, and Jagni? I think uh, I'm glad that we've got a fourth centre-back in because I think that was the big mistake that we made in the summer transfer window last year. We spent too long going after Kurt Zuma. So to get him in um, gives competition. And by all accounts, I was looking at a lot of Norwich websites and listened to a few podcasts and it just sounds like a deal that just suits everyone. You know, they were saying he's he's really developed in the past couple of years, probably reached his ceiling at Norwich, but has the potential to go much higher. So um, it just, yeah, it just seems the perfect deal. deal. You know, he's comfortable on the ball, so he'd be good bringing the ball out defence. He's young, he's pacey. Um, a couple of Norwich fans I spoke to said maybe his positioning could could work, but that's something that can come with with experience and obviously working with someone like Ancelotti, Ancelotti can only benefit him. So yeah, I'm re- I'm really pleased. And, and out of the, the players we were linked with, um, he was the one probably uh, wanted more. 
particularly on, on a permanent deal, and it will link with Tamori from Chelsea on a loan. But we've got we've got him now, got Godfrey on a permanent. So um, yeah, I'm really pleased. I think it's, it could be a good deal. I think as well, like we touched on Godfrey last week, obviously, Gino, with uh, the interviews we did and talking briefly about him. Uh, I agree with Tom. I think it's probably a better, um, better signing than, say, someone like Tamori on loan because, um, you know, it kind of, if Tamori does as well as like Zuma did, and then next summer, you, you know, you want to buy him from Chelsea, then you can imagine the fee that Chelsea would want, even if they would be like open to selling him at all. Um, then you just create a bigger problem. Signing Godfrey, I think, is a bit more sort of long-term thinking than say just a short-term kind of sticking plaster for a season like Tomori probably would have been. Um, and obviously, we talked about last week his versatility as well. So, um, you know, obviously at Shrewsbury he played um, as a defensive midfielder, and, and that could be potentially a position he could cover for Alan. Maybe he's not playing or, or Fabian Delph, something like that. Um, as well as obviously being a centre-back. and uh, I think, again, we probably mentioned this before, but I think while while Michael Keane and Yerry Mina have both had solid starts to the season, I think uh, I still have like reservations about them as a long-term partnership just because they're quite similar players. They're both kind of, um, sort of tall, imposing defenders, but not neither have a great turn of pace like someone like Mason, Mason Holgate does. So, you would think maybe Godfrey's skill set would maybe complement either Key or Mina better than the two of them do as a partnership. Um, and yeah, I mean, like you look at the other players who brought in already and how well they fit in, and, and the amount of players that Ancelotti inherited who have already improved under him. But I think um, I have a lot of confidence that Godfrey will be a good sign. Yeah, I think it's um, you know a good sign. I think the Ancelotti. Um, improvements and then how he's improved certain players are is one of those points that brings a transfer in and and where they can see they can improve under a, a big manager. So um, obviously Godfrey sees that that potential to improve. His versatility is great. Um, it's always good to have those kind of players who can fill in if you need to, especially if they're you know not getting regular playing time at center back. If you know, I, I know I think we mentioned that he also could play a little right back. Obviously with John Joe Kenny out um, for however long he may be out. I'm not sure if he's About two more um, weeks. And I think yeah. So, I mean, God forbid something happened to Seamus, um, you know, we would have, a, you know, some sort of replacement there as well. Um, but definitely a good all around signing Godfrey. Um, any opinions on the other guys? Obviously I think Olsen um, is the other big one that we, we picked up. Um, not come, I guess, when, when, when the transfer was made, Greg O'Keefe, I believe it was, said, or Phil Kirkbride said um, that he wasn't supposed to be, you know, competing for the number one job. He was just there to push um, Pickford. Your guys' opinions on him and, you know, him being brought in um, on loan? Um, I can't say I've t- seen too much of him. So, again, I sort of looked at what people were saying online and where all the Cats Roma fans weren't amazingly fussed and we're certainly happy for him to go back on, out on loan but he's an established international is very experienced so he should act as a good backup I think I think the Pickford situation is, is probably coming a little bit quicker than Marcel Brands and Ancelotti 
maybe fault because they had enough issues in the squad to deal with. Nicole thought at least the goalkeeper situation is fairly secure, but I think they've had to move quickly because Pickford's mistakes were moving from one every other game or every few games to he was averaging a mistake a game. So they needed to do something. And I think when you're looking for a goalkeeper at short notice, there's not going to be that much choice out there. I think Romero was the other one, wasn't it? And Gazaniga at Tottenham. So you're not going to get a fantastic long-term goalkeeper in the last few days of the window. So it's there. It, I think it's a bit of a warning to Pickford, maybe. I think I remember I wrote a piece and said it sort of put him on notice that, you know, they were aware that his form is slipping. And you imagine maybe Brands and Ancelotti now are looking out there now, maybe looking at another goalkeeper for next summer, putting the, the feelers out because if Pickford carries on the way he is, then he, he won't be in the team for long. And Olsen would hopefully be at least a safe pair of hands, excuse the pun, um, for the rest of the season. I think, I don't think anyone really expects Olsen to start the derby, do they? I think mm-hmm. uh, no. it's not going to be someone who will come in and, and immediately displace Pickford as maybe a more, um, I guess, esteemed goalkeeper might. I don't know. Um, but I mean, if it was up, if it was up to me, I, I probably would have made a goalkeeper a higher priority at the start of the window. But I can understand why they didn't, um, especially with you know, Everton, Everton don't have like a bottomless pit of money, um, and it's fair to say like the midfield needed a lot more work, a lot quicker. But um, I think it it seems very much like a sort of again like a short term solution to. The problem because um, by all accounts they could have had Romero or Gazaniga had they paid a fee for him to them sign him permanently but it seems like um, they will maybe reassess the situation properly in the summer uh, with Pickford and you know give him like his last chance between now and then and then get maybe some stronger competition in Olsen in the meantime. Um, like I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with Tom and I haven't seen much of Alston. Maybe strikes me as someone who got a move off a good World Cup or Euros, um, like we sometimes see other players. But um, you know, if he's a step up on Jonas Lustel or Joel Virginia, then he at least gives Pickford stronger competition for his place. And um, I think it's probably sensible in hindsight because I don't like, like Tom was saying, you're not going to get. Yeah, your ideal goalkeeper in the last few days or even the last few hours of a transfer window. So, um, you know, he will at least you know do a more solid job of pushing Pickford for the rest of the season. And then um, Everton can obviously address the situation properly in the summer at the end of the year. Yeah, I think it. Um, you know, you guys hit on all the points. It's it's one of those signings where you know. Hopefully he pushes Pickford a little bit. Don't expect him to start the derby. Um, but, you know, it's – I guess it's a sign that they will go out and sign a goalkeeper, like you guys said. Um, a sign that they, you know, if Pickford doesn't improve, it could be the end of the line for him as, as Everton's number one, which also probably by default would be <clears> the end of, end of the line for, England, uh, for him as England number one. But um, – It'll be interesting to see. I would, how also, I would also say, sorry, I also would say that I, I quite like the way Ancelotti's dealt with Pickford in terms of like, when I wrote about this last week, he's not, he's not 
treated him like, say, Jose Mourinho might his players in terms of, you know, throwing them under the bus and criticising them publicly. It's been a lot more measured and kept it in-house by the looks of things. So, um, I don't, you know, he's not like demoralised Pickford, has he? And he's given him every chance. So, if Pickford is to lose his spot, I don't think he can have any, you know, complaints or excuses about it because it feels like Ancelotti's at least managing him the right way. If if Pickford starts the derby and makes a howler, if you're Ancelotti, would you drop him for the next game and put Olsen straight in? I think I would, yeah. I think because you can't just sign Olsen as kind of a a best a seat filler on the bench, can you, you know, you assume that he's good enough to to play, otherwise why bother signing him? So um I mean I if I if you ask me, do I think Pickford will be evidence for first choice in a year, I'd probably say no. But um I think he's kind of I think he's kind of in his last chance to now, yeah. And I think you know, maybe it's it maybe seems a bit reactionary from the Brighton game in terms of Kind of, they were saying they were happy with Pickford, and then he drops pretty glaring error that led to a Brighton goal on last week, and then they've gone out and bought a keeper. But um, well, I, you, can't I, keep, you can't keep risking him undermining what's been, you know, like a perfect start. Because although he hasn't cost Everton yet, you know, the, the, the rate at which he's making mistakes, you would would kind of suggest that at some point it will cost Everton points. So. Um, if he keeps making it, then yeah. Otherwise, what was the point in, in bringing in Olsen if he's, ne- if he's never going to play? You know. Yeah. No, I think. Um, yeah, I think if you if he does have a howler in the derby and you don't start Olsen, you're just sending the message that Olsen's there just to be there and not really to challenge Pickford. I think, you know, if you drop him right away after the derby, um, it kind of shows him. All right, you know, listen. Like, if you don't improve, you know, we're willing to drop you and let you know, Olsen play. Uh, but if you don't do that and if he makes a mistake, I feel like it's just another empty gesture of purchasing yeah. a goalkeeper to pretend to put pressure on Pickford when in all reality, you know, Pickford's just going to, you know, feel more yeah. confident about his position. Um, moving on to the outs. Obviously, we've talked about a lot about, you know, the important outs, um, but we didn't get to talk about Moise Keane or Theo Walcott. Um, obviously, Theo Walcott heading back to Southampton on loan. I believe he's he's only got one year left on his contract anyway, right? So he'll be a free at the end of the season, probably picked up by them um, if he has a, a good season for them. Um, and then Moise Keane uh, to PSG on loan. I think that's the big one for everyone. Not one I don't think that was a surprise, just from what we had heard in the weeks leading up to the deadline. Um, but, Tom, your opinion on Moise Keane heading out and over to PSG? I'm not overly surprised he he left on loan because he was struggling um, and he needs to play regularly. I'm a bit surprised he went to PSG because I don't know how regularly he's going to play over there either. But um, uh, I think it's, it was a difficult one for um, Ancelotti because Calvert-Lewin is the undoubted first choice. Um, but he'll need someone who can come on and, and maybe make an impact as a substitute or coming in for one or two games. From what we've seen of Moyes Keane, he doesn't look like he's going to be able to do that. He maybe needs to be playing regularly at this stage. So I think it's probably the right the right move. Um, whether 
it's with a view to the permanent deal. I I'm not sure there is a, a clause to, to buy it permanently. I don't think there was, no. But if he does well, will PSG or Juventus maybe want to pick him up permanently? Because we all wanted him to do well. And I think, I remember the one, I think the game against Newcastle when he scored his first goal, that was probably his best game. And you saw sort of the signs that we saw when he was playing for Juventus, the sort of player he could be. But he's just not shown it um, on a regular basis. Whether he's just not settled here, I'm not sure. But I, I was surprised he went to PSG, but I think it's the right move. Um, and it's a shame. It's just weather as well now. It leaves us a little bit light up front as well. Um, we may be linked with Josh King before the window. I don't know whether they'll come in, but um, it's it's probably a move that's probably best for everyone, I think, which is a shame because I think Evertonians and I did really wanted him to do well. well I mean, last, last two Premier League starts, he scored in both games, didn't he? So, um... mm. I think, I think signs that he... the starts record is actually quite good. I think he's played more than 30 games for us and only made six starts, which kind of tells you how he's been used. Um, but I just think it's never real. he's never really looked right, I don't think, Everton. Like, even with... I know he's young and I know, like, you know, maybe there's an element of, not immaturity, but, like, you know... Um, the sort of naivety that you maybe get with young players, but like the issues that he had with Silver in terms of, you know, he was left out of one of the squads, wasn't he, for missing a meeting or, uh, you know, um, kind of rumblings in the background the whole time, really, he's been here, that he's never really settled. He obviously had the, the Ferguson substitution at United, which I actually agreed with Ferguson. I know it's harsh, but it, I got the impression Ferguson would kind of, again, like Ancelotti, has been with Pickford, kind of wasn't completely honest about it in his press conference afterwards, saying that he was trying to kill time. I think it's probably that he, th- he felt Moise Keane wasn't pulling his weight, and if he's not pulling his weight, then he's a waste of waste of space on the pitch, really. Um, and that's kind of been the story, isn't it? It's kind of it's not, it just hasn't worked, and it feels like it feels like sort of shades of you know Nikola Vlasic or Adam Oldman or you know these are. Sort of promising youngsters that we sign, they don't sell, or then get loaned out, and then we never see them again. So, um, I I don't think Moise Keane will play for us again. To be honest, I think he'll probably leave at the end of the season. And if he's not happy here and he's not settled and he's not you know comfortable, then he's probably not going to score tons of goals. So, and it's kind of hard, isn't it? It's like Tottenham with Harry Kane. It's like how do you how do you persuade a striker to come and sit and sit? spend most of the time on the bench when you've got you know the most prolific striker in the country at the moment um, I would say about going to PSG I think maybe the fact that their league is such a walk in the park for them might mean that you might get some chances because they can maybe rest players and uh, you know rotate um, but it doesn't seem the most obvious uh, destination for him but I think by all accounts, Everton didn't want him to go, but he and his sort of people were pushing for this low move. So, you know, again, that was just to me that probably, his heart probably isn't in it, Everton. Therefore, yeah, it leaves us light, but if you don't want to be here, then it's probably best that you're not. So, and, you know, maybe he can improve at PSG and maybe he'll come back and be a better player, but um, I don't, I'm not particularly devastated about him leaving on loan. No, yeah, it's. Uh, Tom, I'm with you. I'm one of those guys who, um, you know, wanted to see Moise Keane succeed, but 
you know, I think a lone move was good for him, whether it was to PSG or not. I don't know. I don't know how much that will allow him to improve. Um, but I think the big thing is out of this one, it, you know, and you both have mentioned it, it does leave us a little light at the back. Um, Tom, you mentioned Josh King. Do we think that this one or any further business um, before the EFL deadline gets done with Everton or um, you think the EFL deadline will come and go and, and there will be no more players brought in? In terms of incoming, I, I don't think we will. I think it's been a fairly tentative link with King and it looks like other clubs are more interested. Um, there's a few factors in that. I think it's not actually that long until the January window opens because of the delayed transfer windows. So, yeah. And we're not in Europe, so we won't be playing that many games between now and then. So I think we probably won't gamble on getting a player now. Um, I think be more focused on trying get, getting some players out. Um, also looking at the forward line, um, I'm not saying he's a long-term option, but Cenk Tosin will be fit again soon. And I think maybe the plan is to get him fit maybe play him a few games and then maybe to look move him on in January, then look to get a striker in once his wages are off, off the books. Um, so, yeah, I just I think we're pretty much done for incomes at the moment. And there's not really any many players out there that um, I'd look to bring in from the Championship, to be honest. So I think, yeah, just focus on getting some of those squad players, um, get them out. If you're going to use a, like a backup striker as, like, as sporadically as maybe Tossum would be used... I think I'd rather look at maybe giving Ellis Sims minutes than Tossin because I think we know what we're getting with Tossin now. And it's not someone who's. I don't think Tossin's a bad footballer or a bad striker. I just think he's not accust, he's not suited to the Premier League the way he plays. I think, um, I think the Premier League's too too quick for him, um, and he's never really had a prolific. I think he actually his best player. I think it was probably under Allardyce, wasn't it? And the way Allardyce played probably suited him best. Mm. That more sort of physical, direct. Uh, style of play and it's, it's not really worked for him under Silver or Ancelotti I don't think he played at all under Ancelotti before he was loaned out to Palace in January so um, I'm not saying you know I know saying playing Ellis Sims might seem kind of maybe a bit radical or a bit um, sort of desperate maybe but um, if, it, if it's only like 10 minute cameos or, or you know Substitute appearances. I think maybe look at. You've also got Richarlison. You, know, you could move up front and then put you know Bernard or Gordon on the wing or something like or Iwobi. So, um, I would probably prefer to see maybe Ellis Sims get some minutes than Tossin um, yeah. at this point. Um, and then obviously, you know, Walcott's gone. Who could have played there? But um, I think he was another one. Is probably good to get off the books in terms of. Um, you know they're splitting his wages half and half with Hunter, aren't they? I think so. That probably makes sense. Um, in terms of other outgoings, I think probably looking at people like Yannick Balassi, Mohamed Bettich, obviously Sandro's finally gone on a free. Um, so that's you know more wages off the book, which is good. Um, but I think I, I'm, like, I'm with Tom. I don't think I don't think Josh King will be an Everton player this time next week. I don't think. Anyone in the EFL will be having players this time next week. I think probably in terms of incomings we're done, and it's probably just a case of looking at potential outgoings and trimming, <coughs> trimming a bit more of like the fat on the squad. I think before Friday. Yeah, I think that um, that makes sense. Um, 
if we don't get a player in, um, obviously we don't uh, – Tom, made, you brought up a great point. Um, the January transfer window is closer than we, than we think. I, I know um, that I saw something earlier this week um, in regards to Bournemouth's talks with um, other teams about David Brooks that they were hoping for a, um, a loan because they have, they're have they pretty confident that they feel like they will get back in the Premier League uh, next season. So, you know, obviously that might complicate things a little bit for Josh King or, or any other player trying to buy from them as well. Um, so it would be difficult. I think it would be a surprise if we bring anybody in this um, before Friday. But even if we don't, if this is the end, um, just to kind of put a bow on this, Good transfer window as a whole. What, what's our opinions, Matthew? I think you've got a great transfer window in terms of, the, um, you know, the, the one most glaring issue of the in the squad has been has been addressed properly um, in the with you know with regards to the midfield. Um, <clears throat> the Corey's, I think, it's been like I know people go mad about Rodriguez and I understand why, but I feel like the Corey's probably the most important one for me in terms of knitting it all together and kind of driving Everton forward. Um, Alan's been a great addition, that sort of tough tackling midfield that we needed last we didn't have last season that we've got. And then obviously Rodriguez has just looked like a superstar really since the moment he's he, uh, made his debut. Um and Kunku's looked great in the core. Um you know you hope Olsen is a better competition for Pigford like saying and then like I said not all of the dead wood is, 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 has been shipped out yet, but I think a lot of, you know, you look at those players that have gone, how many of them really are we going to sort of be mourning the loss of? Probably not any, really. Maybe one or two key, maybe. But um, I mean, Leighton Baines, obviously, it was sad, but, you know, probably the right time for him to retire. And, and um, so I, th- I think overall, probably the best window ever had under Farhad Mashiri. And it, that, saying that, doesn't feel maybe as naive as it would have done three years ago when we signed people like Davy Classen and Pickford and Sandro because we've already seen kind of the, the the fruits of their labour with the start of the season. Whereas then it was kind of it was kind of premature before the season started. You, you, you know, we made all the signings so quickly and we were so excited to see how they would gel, and it never happened. Whereas now we've already seen firsthand how how much more effective that midfield is and, um, you know, how promising a left-back and Kunku is, for example. So, um, like I said, it's probably the best window under Mashiri and I would say out of 10, probably give it 9 out of 10. It's not been perfect. I think a perfect would be obviously 10, but it's about as close to perfect as you can get without being that. So, really impressed. Really, really satisfied overall. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be the same. I don't think you can... I think you can underestimate the, the damage they, the, the two windows under Koeman and Walsh did long term um, because not only did it immediately hamper results on the pitch but we were stuck with players on long contracts restricted the wage bill um, so it's taken a long time and we're still not through with that I think even by the end of this season maybe most of those players will have been able to move on so um, I think Marcel Brands has done a great job getting players out as, as well as getting them in I think he was criticised a bit last summer and I think justifiably so for as we mentioned the failure to get a centre back in Iwobi seemed like a little bit like a panic buy on the deadline but um, I think him and Ancelotti have on the face of it worked really well this summer if you look 
as you said, Matthew, the, the signings have all come in and slotted in um, into a gap in the side that was needed. There's no one just, there's no sort of sign of a scattergun policy that, that we had a couple of years ago. Um, obviously, Rodriguez and, and Alan probably wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Ancelotti. And obviously, that's the pull of him. But then someone like Uncuku, you probably say his brand's um, is behind that as well. So with those two working together, um, the star quality of Ancelotti and maybe Brands getting this, the, the younger players, I think that could be a really good partnership. So um, I think you're right. Maybe if we'd got another uh, right forward slash striker and perhaps another right back, it would have been perfect. But given what we had to do this summer, I think it's fantastic. And if they can clear a few more of the players uh, before the EFL deadline, so I was thinking that so Lossel Bessic, Alassi, Beningami, Pennington, Connolly. They're the ones that we could, if we could move even half of those on, that would give a re- decent size squad for Ancelotti to work with and, and lower the wage bill as well. So it's, yeah, it's been a great window. And I said, Matthew, we've already shown as well on the pitch that the signings have worked, whereas in previous years, we've looked at the signings, been excited, but then when the actual game started, it's not quite worked. So yeah, it's all good so far. Did you see, by the way, you know, like you often see players linked with moves like they have these mysterious injuries where um, do you see do you see why Bournemouth said Josh King has been left out the other day? No. He had, he had a migraine. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and they made the stupid decision of tweeting that on its own, which just left them open to, you know horror <laughs> of, you know, taunting on Twitter. And rightly so probably. Yeah. Say anything, just say, you know, I'm by just uh. Yeah. Don't, don't say migraine. Um, but yeah no I I think um, I think the job that Brands has done to get the players out is almost just as good as the job as he's done to bring players in Um, you know I think that that was the big worry you know we could bring players in but how big would the squad be how much dead wood would we have the wage bill and he's done a really good job of cutting that down and Obviously, the squad, the squad could be a little bit smaller. Um, but at the current moment, I think he's done um, a good job of getting players out quicker than many of us expected. I, I think it's a, many of us expected it would take a couple of years before uh, most of these players were, were, were out and off the books. But um, he's done a good job of, of you know, wrapping that up. And it seems like we're nearing the end with that dead wood um, and, and kind of clearing up space there. And um, I think that, you know, obviously we mentioned not bringing in a, you know, a right winger or striker or um, right back help. But I think that um, we've seen specifically on that right winger spot with Awobi or even in the midfield with Sigurdsson, um, the, Ancel- the Ancelotti signings this summer have seemed to raise their level of play. So maybe those worries that we don't, that we had aren't as big of a worry now um, because of the quality that these players or the, the level that these players are playing at. Um, that depth looks a little bit better. Um, obviously, again, we would like to bring in a striker, I think, because we are light there. Um, and a true right back would have been good because I'm not sure how much any of us trust Kenny as a, as a true backup right back um, or, the ba- or the right back of the future. Um, but I think overall, a really, really good window. I think it's hard to say that it wasn't good because of how well we've been playing and how well the squad or how good the squad looks right now. So um, a really, really good window. And um, you know, hopefully it uh, continues that way and, and we continue on with the, the start we have to this season. But before we get to the preview on Liverpool, which is our next match and which would 
Um, I think make our start extremely well if we can get three points there. Um, we're extremely good if we can get three points there. Let's talk a little bit about some of the Everton news over the past week. Um, obviously, it's international break. So a bunch of players out on, on – um, on uh, at their national team squads. Um, Calvert-Lewin, who scored a goal on his England debut for Wales, which was great, and then got a start um, in their Nations League match against Belgium. Belgium. Um, Pickford played in that Belgium, ma- uh, Belgium win in the Nations League, but didn't play in the friendly versus Wales. Keane played the full 90 in Wales, didn't play in the Belgium game. So um, the three Englishmen there um, getting some playing time. Sigurdsson, a brace for Iceland versus Romania in their 2-1 win. Um, Olsen uh, played in Sweden's 2-1 defeat to Croatia in the Nations League. Richarlison hasn't played too much. Probably a good thing um, after him (laughs) going off injured there in the last Premier League match. Um, Good thing that he hasn't gotten too much time, but I believe they play again tonight or tomorrow um, in their their World Cup qualifiers. Um, Mina played the full game. Thomas played 74 minutes in Colombia's 3-0 uh, World Cup qualifier win over Venezuela. Awobi played 85 minutes for Nigeria. Dean played the full in the game in France's 7-1 win over Ukraine. Um, and then Tom Davies got a full 90 and scored in England's U21 match with uh, Andorra in the 2021 Euro. I like the surprise in your voice there. Well, <laughs> I mean, listen. I mean, I, he, like he scores goals, and I don't expect him to score goals. I'm not expecting him to score any goals, but, um, you know, it's pretty nice. <laughs> but um, a pretty good international break. A lot of players out there, a lot of players, um, you know, playing well and playing important roles. I think the big one is Calvert-Lewin getting another goal. I think that helps his confidence tremendously. Um, you know, your guys' thoughts on the international break, what you guys have seen from players. Um if it's telling you anything about players, anything like that? Yeah, it's good to see Sigurdsson. Obviously, he took his two goals really well for Iceland as well. And um, uh, Tom Davies, obviously. <clears throat> he seems to be a regular for England the 21s, doesn't he? So, I mean, it seems he's obviously doing something to impress uh, some people. If he keeps, you know, Everton managers keep picking him and England the 21 managers keep picking him. So, um, I don't think he can do any more than score and play full 90. So, Good to see, obviously, Calvert-Lewin is obviously the main one to get his, his goal. Um, I don't know if you saw, Vaid, if you saw the, the thing that his dad put on Facebook about how hard he's worked to um, yeah. kind of work his way. That was a nice sort of feel-good uh, story. Um, and I, don't, I wasn't massively, I wasn't, I wasn't massively surprised either way with Pickford in terms of him not being involved in the friendly because, you know, it gives... Gave Gareth Southgate, I guess, a chance to look at other options, you know, you know, what is a meaningless game, essentially. Um, and then I wasn't really surprised either that he played against Belgium. Just because I think, rightly or wrongly, I think Gareth Southgate has a lot of trust in Pickford. Um, and he, you know, whatever you think of Nick Pope or Dean Henderson, I mean, Dean Henderson's not even playing regularly, he's at United, so I don't think he was ever going to be yeah. first choice all of a sudden. But I think, while I think, People slightly overrate Pickford's distribution. I think he's probably better and more comfortable with the ball at his feet than Nick Pope is. And I think that probably works in his favour for England as well, the way Southgate likes to play. So um, it's, I guess the main thing is that we came through, well, we've come through it somewhat so far injury-free, which doesn't seem to often be the case before derbies. I remember the one in last season, June, where we seemed to pick up like a new injury every week before 
um, with the first game back after in Project Restart. So um, really, you know, pleased for Calvert Lewin that he got his goal for England, and uh, you know, just relieved that Charlton got some minutes. Everyone else got a lot of minutes and came through it unscathed. I think it leaves us in a good place still for the derby next Saturday. Yeah, I think my main concern all the way through this international break was just that nobody came back either injured or you know, they tested positive for COVID or had to self-isolate or something like that. That was just my big fear with the derby being uh, the following weekend. Um, I think I appreciate international teams and international associations have to get these games into callback some money, but playing like England playing three games during the international break, even with a bigger squad, I just think it's ridiculous. Um, so, and, I, and I'm, I'm not out of the woods yet. I think that it is frustrating to have Rodriguez and Mina and Richarlison playing pretty much on the other side of the world and having to fly back and it's the early kickoff at Goodison on Saturday. So, fingers crossed, yeah, they just come through okay. Um, it was just an international break. I just think given the current situation around the world that just didn't need to take place. You know, there's cases rising all over the place. So, taking players out of their teams, club teams, bubbles, send them all the way around and then bringing them back, I think is a recipe for disaster. So, if we get to Friday and Carlo's done his press conference and everyone's come through unscathed, I think we'll have done really, really well. I'm not even sure the Euros will happen, to be honest. I don't know how you feel about it, but I'm not, I'm not massive. Well, the one, the, the one time that they wanted a tournament across Europe is not now. Yeah. Like, if being in one place, it, it would have been a lot easier to handle. Um, I think if it does happen, I think they'll scrap that one. I think, I think it'll yeah. just be, well, you'd, you'd like to think, I mean, common sense would say, like you said, this is, <laughs> this is the worst possible time to to go with that idea. But, mm. um, yeah, I just, I think it's not ideal. But, I, again, I don't know why England needed it. I know it was only Wales, so it wasn't like, you know, a particularly arduous journey for Wales or, you know. I don't, I don't really see why we needed a third game and a friendly as well as two Nations League games. So, mm-hmm. um, just, just quickly, I just seen some news uh, about um, Shani Tarasaj, the, uh, the forward Martinez signed. He was like, <laughs> he's, he must be what mid twenties now. Uh, anyway, his his loan has been cancelled by MN, the Dutch team that he was on loan at. So he didn't make he didn't make a single first team appearance. So he's gone back to Everton now. So he's another one that we could probably do with getting off the wage bill by Friday, if anyone will take him. But, yeah. <laughs> Martinez, master stroke there. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think, wasn't his contract up this summer, but then they did part yeah. of an extension to reduce his wages and send him out on loan. So, yeah, because his loan was a two-year loan, but he didn't make a single appearance for them. So, um yeah, more dead board, I think, there. Yeah. It's another one for putting Brands's to do. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like you guys said, I think it would be, be nice if we can just get through this without any injuries. That's really the international break. In terms of the Euros, who knows? I, I mean, you're right. I mean, the one year they try and, you know, get fancy with it and spread it across the entire continent um, or spread it across multiple countries, uh, this happened. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see if that goes off. Hopefully, I mean, listen, fingers crossed, hopefully everything's okay. Still a little bit of ways to go to that. So, um, you know, hopefully that works out, um, you know, as planned, but we'll see in terms of, in terms of this international break, um, 
you know, seeing some good signs um, from players, a lot of Everton players getting some good minutes in important games. Um, Calvert-Lewin, of course, getting the goal um, was hugely important. And let's just hope we get through this without any more injury worries or anything like that. Let's get to, like I said, Ancelotti's press conference and, and um, get into this Liverpool match. Uh, unscathed. But before we get, um, again, before we get to that preview, still some stuff to go over. Matthew, you wrote a piece on um, empty football stadiums and how long this can really last. Um, do you want to talk about um, kind of what you wrote about and uh, your opinions on this whole uh, situation? Yeah, I mean, look, I don't want to say anything that will like, get me into trouble or that will, you know, irk people about it. It's just, I just kind of, I think, like, Obviously, I I kind of have like a vested interest here in that I'm a season ticket holder, so I kind of have that sort of experience most weeks of going to matches and and whatever. Um, and obviously, like <clears throat> a global pandemic is more important than you know when you can next go to a football match. Obviously, there's more important things to consider than when you can go back to football during this. Um, but I don't know. I kind of. I guess by now, I feel like, and obviously in the UK, we've started to see a rise in cases. You know, we're recording this the day after Liverpool um, has gone into sort of the most severe lockdown in the UK. Um, so maybe writing this now is kind of sort of, you know, pissing in the wind, hoping, hoping for this. But um, I, just, I just wonder, like, what has... I guess my point was, like, what has to happen before you can start considering you know, starting to readmit fans into football stadiums again. Not full capacity, obviously, because that's not feasible for now and probably for a while. Um, but we've seen other test events like in Brighton and seven EFL clubs uh, who trialled this in, in uh, September with 1,000 fans each um, and how, you know, they came and went pretty, pretty much unscathed in terms of spikes or, or you know, any positive uh, cases arising from any of those games. Um, and, you know, th- you know, this weekend we've seen, like, you know, the Palladium in London, which has sort of reopened and uh, hosted, like, a Q&A with Arsenal Wenger, with, with Arsenal fans, which is, you know, permissible, whereas, you know, sitting in an open-air stadium, socially distanced and whatever, isn't. And I understand people might think, you know, this is the wrong time to suggest this because cases are growing again and, there's more important things to worry about now, but there's a lot of there's a lot of people who depend on this. You know, I go to Everton as much for kind of the chance to catch up with my granddad or my cousins or my friends and you know have a drink and a, and, and a day out with them as much as you know, Everton could lose. I mean, it doesn't really it doesn't ruin my day. I mean, obviously I don't want them to lose, but it doesn't make me wish that I'd never bother going to the match or it doesn't put me in like a, an awful mood for the rest of the day. Um, so, and I think there is that sense of kind of escapism for some people that they can go to a match and just and forget about anything else that's bothering them in life or worry or you know worrying them in life. And I think there is kind of a sort of mental health aspect to this in a way. Um, obviously, you don't want people to be reinfected, but I think there can be some sort of happy medium struck between the two. Um, and you know. <laughs> I mean, when you can watch, you know, last week we had games that were being screened in cinema rooms, 
whereas you can't, you weren't allowed to go in person in sort of small numbers and to the stadiums. And yeah, again, like I said, it's not maybe an opportune moment to talk about this the week that Liverpool goes into more extreme lockdown. But, you know, I also feel sorry for people like, you know, business owners or taxi drivers or, you know, restaurant, restaurant, restaurant stores or, um, you know, pub owners who are going to, who, you know, lose a lot of business from there being no fans around, around stadiums. So um, I guess I thought it may be good as well to get Tom's opinion on it just because, you know, he, like me, lives in the UK and goes to matches. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I understand people... I mean, the people have commented on it saying that they disagree, and that's fine. And I understand why. But I just think you can't kind of have this sort of blanket ban on all fans when, you know, there are clubs further down the pyramid as well that need need the revenue a lot more urgently than Everton do as well. Um, so I just feel like now it's kind of a critical point where they need to kind of strike a balance between not going overboard and letting everyone or like the vast majority be back in, but equally not shutting everyone out. And maybe, you know, risking lower league clubs going to the wall or, you know, a lot of fans still missing out when they really don't don't have to be or, you know. I mean, like I said, if it was up to me, I would be, I appreciate and I understand like the severity and the, the, the risk of coronavirus in some cases, uh, you know, and anyone who has suffered from it or has died from it is, that's, you know, that's obviously tragic. But I just feel like there has to be a degree of sort of perspective and proportion applied to it. No, and I'm with you, Matthew, because um, I think they talk about um, trying to strike that balance between public safety and, and keeping things, the economy going, keeping things open. So that's why you have restaurants with social distancing in place. And there is ways of trying to make those sort of things as safe as possible. And I think, I think it is possible to make football stadiums as safe as possible they're outdoors for starters um appreciate maybe like the concourses could be you get a bit congested but there are ways and i'm not entirely sure how the trials went but you can limit people's movement once they're sat down uh, split people into sections um and if there's only a certain percentage of people there then that limits the amount of people traveling on public transport so there is a balance i think maybe as you say right now with cases rising and the lockdown measures increasing, but just to say that they're probably not going to be fans in for another six months. Um, I just think, I think that that would be writing off um, particularly a, a huge number of lower league clubs. I think they have to try and come up with some sort of happy medium because you saw even in the FA Cup uh, qualifying games last week, you had clubs could have fans in the lounge watching the game on TV as it took place on the pitch, but they had to pull down the curtains so they couldn't actually watch the game no. in real life, but they could watch it indoors on a TV. Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's just so... I, I just, yeah, and particularly, as you say, for the lower league clubs, this could mean whether they survive or whether they go bust. And, and, and I even look, I looked at the England game against um, Wales oh. Oh. Belgium. Wembley's like 90,000. You said you, you can't have you know, a limited capacity in there. And I say this, this, the, the scenes at the, the London Palladium just sort of really hit home. I, I'm amazed that even went ahead. Um, so yeah, there has to be a solution there. I, I, just, I do think there's a, a solution there. Maybe not immediately, but... Um, and, and as you say, that there's, there is the need as well. 
Um, I don't know what it's like in the in the US, um, Gina, but certainly in the UK, as, as the lockdown measures increase, people's morale going into this second wave is a lot lower than it was in the spring. People are, and so I think, as he said, as Matthew said, things like being able to go to a match safely would lift everyone in in what is really difficult times, having already gone through a really tough seven or eight months already. Yeah, uh, and also I would, I would just want to say, like I think we've said a bit off camera before, but like. Every time I've been out during lockdown, like to a pub or a bar or a restaurant or anywhere, everywhere I've been has been sort of COVID secure, you know, well policed, you know, sensitive to the risk and you know of, of coronavirus, um, and you're know, well prepared to to manage it. And I don't see why football stadiums will be any different. I don't. I don't. Also, I also don't like this argument that maybe you know. Football fans are not sort of trustworthy, and that they are kind of um, sort of loud mouths and you know tanked up and out of control. Because that's not one. I think it's, it's that's unfair on the fans who've already gone to these test events and and adhere to the rules. And so it's just not the case. Like you go to any football match, and there might be like a minority of people who are like that, but the vast majority of people just go and enjoy the game and. Just have a nice time with the friends and family, and that's that's all they want, really. Um, that's all I want. Um, and it's not again, it's not that I'm trying to make light of COVID or anything like that because it's not. That's just like it's not. That's not the case at all. I, I get how serious and how tragic it's been for a lot of people, but um, to kind of impose, like I said, this blanket ban on all fans everywhere. Aside from so-called non-elite clubs from like the seventh tier downwards, just seems, I guess, reckless. And you know, you you can't under you can't underestimate how damaging this will be to like the economy, at least from a football sense. And when people and when you say that, people seem to think that well, if you go on about the economy, then you you only bothered about about money over you know or profit over um, you know protecting lives. But actually, the economy is about quality of life in a lot of ways and about you know a strong economy helps people live longer and helps people enjoy a better quality of life and I think the longer that you impose this blanket ban on people then you will see I think a lot of job more jobs lost a lot more clubs in financial peril we've already seen you know Barry Macclesfield Wigan already um wouldn't surprise me there's more that go that way without some sort of change to this. Um, and like you said, it's just nice. I think any time you go out now, even with the restrictions, it's just nice to feel kind of a sense of being back to the way things were in terms of, you know, not being kicked up in your house all day, every day. Um, and I'm just kind of, I admit, like I said, I admit I'm kind of desperate to go again because I love, it's one of the things I love doing, going to watch Everton, but um I'd want it to be done sensibly, of course, but I just think there is a balance there that you can strike between the two extremes that we seem to be sort of veering between at the moment. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, over here in America, um, they are letting fans in in certain um, certain places. In New York, they are not. Um, New York, New Jersey, tri-state area where I'm from. Um, but... In other areas, they are. I mean, in other areas, they have fans at football games at, at um, you know, 
soccer matches, uh, football matches over here. Um, so, um, I understand, um, you know, it, it seems like even at small capacity, it should be, you know, 25% capacity, whatever they would decide. Um, it should definitely, um, be something that is considered, um, because like you said that, you know, for us over here in America, I don't think that the, the one of the, one of the things I love about, about football is the passion that a lot of, um, the fans show and, and how passionate fans are about their teams and going to games and, um, and showing up and, and, you know, watching their team play that kind of isn't the case over here. So, um, you know, obviously fans are passionate about their own teams, but you don't get the same sort of passion, I guess you'd say, like, it, it's just a different experience in the, the few, um, EPL games that I've, I've actually witnessed in person. Um, you know, it's just a different experience. So, um, I can understand why fans would begin a little over there. Um, obviously, like you said, Matthew, um, COVID's not something to make, make light of, um, but it is also affecting um, these football clubs who make a lot of their money off of revenue um, and the revenue from the football tickets. Um, but, you know, it's something we'll have to keep an eye on. Obviously, you guys, like you said, just – um, I feel like, you know, things just got rolled back for you guys. You guys are looking to go back into another lockdown or another sort of lockdown, which is unfortunate over here. Um, you know, there's been some things that have happened, but um, nothing too crazy to the point where, you know, we're back in our houses and not able to go anywhere anymore. Um, or, you know, not able to go to certain places. Everything's still pretty much open for the most part in, in areas that aren't hotspots. Um, but it's, it's something that I'm sure, or I hope will be looked at because, you know, you look at places and it's unfortunate because you look at places like Germany who seem to have gotten their stuff together and now they have fans mm -hmm. in the, the stadiums and, you know, um, Dortmund had 11,000, I think last week, didn't they? Yeah. Yep. 11,000. So, um, you know, obviously, obviously, uh, you know, a tough thing to navigate, but you know, eventually, like you said, Matthew, hopefully this gets all figured out. Hopefully we can, you know, get things as close to normal as possible sooner rather than later. But, um, you know, fans in a stadium would be a good step in the right direction um, when, you know, safely allowed to do so, I guess you could say. Um, one of the other, the final thing we've got to talk about um, that isn't exactly Everton news, more Premier League news is Project Big Picture, a proposal put forward by Liverpool owner John Henry and Man United co-chairman Joel Glazer um, on Sunday regarding potential reform to English football pyramid. Um, another list for me to read, so bear with me. Um, the main points here, uh, the Premier League cut from 20 to 18 clubs with the Championship, League One, and League Two each retaining 24 teams. Uh, the bottom two teams in the Premier League relegated automatically with 16th place team joining the championship playoffs, um, similar to how the Bundesliga does um, their relegation. Um, the League Cup and Community Shield would be abolished under this new plan. Um, parachute payments for clubs relegated from the Premier League would be scrapped. Um, there would be a £250 million rescue fund made immediately available to EFL. Um, and 25% of all future TV deals. Um, there would be £100 million paid to the FA to make up for lost revenue. Um, and then nine clubs would be given special voting rights on certain issues. 
based on their extended runs in the Premier League. That would include the Big Six plus Everton, Southampton, and West Ham. Tom, we'll start with you. Thoughts on this plan? Like most people, the two words that describe out is power grab. Um, there are some good things in there. Um, you know, the, the rescue package for the EFL and for the FA, uh, the dropping of parachute payments will, will help sort of level up the differences between the Premier League and the EFL. But that's, that's all sort of wrapped up on the outside, but underneath are uh, transferring and concentrating the powers to make decisions to really small elite clubs. Um, I, I think it's a, it's a disgrace and it needs to be blocked. Um, it's... It's, and it's worrying what they will then be able to do in the future. And all the other changes, if you look at them all, sort of designed for them to make more money. So, for example, dropping the, reducing the Premier League from 20 to 18 teams. On the face of it, I'm not totally against that. Um, it could reduce fixture congestion, you know, let players to recover. But Manchester United and Liverpool don't see it that way. They see it as four free match days to play in an expanded Champions League and therefore get more money. Ditto scrapping the League Cup. Uh, and the Community Shield. Then they had things like delaying the start of the season so they can, they can go on more pre-season tours. Um, it's just all, all things designed to concentrate their money, more money in, into a smaller group of hands. Um, and while there's some things there that would benefit and an equaling out between the divisions, in that form, it, it needs to be altered. Because, look, for example, I think... Aston Villa have been in the Premier League more seasons than Manchester City, yet they won't have a say in, in the key decisions. Um, 12, 13 years ago, Manchester City were a mid-table team. What if they brought in something similar then? Man City would have been shut out. So it's stopping any other team from, from rising up. And that's what that's that's the whole point of football, you know, is that sometimes teams can rise and fall. And owners, when they take charge of a club, um, should be prepared to accept the consequences of that system. But instead, um, it seems like they're trying to pull the ladder up from underneath them and shut away the competition. Yeah, like, I mean, you make a great point there. It's like, you know, now the top six is, you know, Man City, Man United, Chelsea, Arsenal, Tottenham, Liverpool. But like, you know, how, how long ago was it? 25 years ago or so, like Blackburn were the best team in Premier League or, you know, Five years ago, Leicester were the best team in the Premier League, you know, or, you know, teams like Ipswich or, you know, Bradford or Oldham who've been in the, in the Premier League before or Wigan. You know, Wigan win it for, what, seven seasons? And now they're in, they're in League One. You've got Southampton and West Ham who've been in it for about the same, I think, now. Um, and that's why they're sort of in this nine because of their longevity. Um and the other thing which I really can't get my head around is like this idea that sort of the main six clubs as well as Everton, Samson and West Ham would be kind of would have the power to to veto um new owners taking over you know, so called rival football clubs, which again just seems like you know, like Tom was saying, like a power grab in terms of, you know, we'll help the rich get richer and the poor get poorer and you know, yes, they might. It might help them sort of bail out the EFL, particularly at a time when, like we were saying a minute ago, they really need as much money as they can. But it feels like they'll do that at, at the cost of EFL clubs agreeing to them having, you know, total autonomy and making every decision uh, that matters for English football themselves, regardless of what 
EFL clubs think or want to do about it. Um, and I, I understand, like, you know, helping the, you know, providing the EFL with a cash injection is one of its better points, but not at the expense of what we're just saying, where you basically, you know, the EFL clubs are basically your lapdog and you, they have to sort of abide by your every, uh, every whim. Um, and yeah, I mean, I read a good, good piece in the Daily Mail by Martin Samuel on this, who described it as like closed shop protectionism. And I think that's, that's what it is. It's kind of, it's more than dressed as lamb in terms of it's not, it might seem sort of beneficial and, um, you know, financially sensible to maybe spread a bit more of the wealth, but ultimately this is kind of designed with an ulterior motive to me, which is, you know, the best clubs getting better and at the expense of the clubs who might be able to challenge it, you know. Also, English football is kind of unique in, in that way in that, you know, every so often you have teams like Leicester. I know Blackburn were kind of built on quite hefty investment for the time, but you have these clubs like Leicester who can make a run for the title and, and win it. You have clubs like Bournemouth who can go from League 2 to the Premier League in, in a decade or whatever, or less than a decade. Um, and if that's what, that is kind of, for me, English football's kind of USP in some ways and what makes it the best sort of country for football. And this feels like a move away from that. It feels like a way to sort of solidify these like, these top teams placed at the top and distance themselves further from people from teams who might be able to challenge them. Um, and that just stifles competition, I think. It makes it less entertaining and, you know, it diminishes the product ultimately. And, and if people aren't... People become more disenfranchised in English football than they just won't put money into it. And then, so ultimately, I think it will be to English football's detriment in that respect as well. So, yeah, I mean, I think the only points I can probably get on board with are scrapping the Community Shield, which is basically just a glorified friendly, um, and maybe parachute payments. But then you look at, like, you know, clubs who go down, pay players' wages in the Premier League, and then they're not sustainable in the Championship. So, I guess you say don't pay them in the first place, but um, the EFL the EFL fund is good, but not at the expense of, like I said, them having to, um, you know, sit and watch while sort of the, the big six or the big nine make every big decision for them. Um, I don't think, I think it's pretty shameful to be honest. I don't, I don't see, uh, you know, the more I read about it, the more annoyed I get, to be honest. I'm the same. No, I'm, I'm the same in that. I think it's a classic case of where, you know, business and sport collide and don't mix. You know, from business, if you're a businessman, you're a ruthless businessman, you've spotted the EFL and the FA in a, in a weak position, you're in a strong position, you can offer them a deal to bail them out. But with that comes strings attached, which makes you stronger in the long run. You know, if you're a businessman, that's the that's sort of deal. But sport it just isn't, isn't that way. And especially, you say, the, the, the English football pyramid, it just doesn't go. So... Um, there's things in there that need, you know, change needs to come and a rescue package needs to come, but not at the expense of just giving the powers away to such a small band of clubs. Because even with the, the Everton gaining a vote, it would only take a majority of six, I think, to make decisions. So Everton, West Ham, and Southampton could have posed something and wouldn't have a say anyway. So it'd be pretty useless. So yeah, it's, it just needs to uh, that needs to change very quickly. I think you can talk. I think. I mean, these are only proposals, so I think maybe mm. you could say 
you can edit them, you can refine them, you can improve them. Um, and I think there is an argument to say the pyramid does need some sort of some sort of alterations, like we were saying about you know scrapping the charity shield might not be the best, might might not be the worst idea in the world, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, um, sort of spreading the wealth more evenly with the lower leagues might not be the worst idea in the world. Um, but if if your if your sort of main priority is just um, enhancing the power and the wealth of already the richest and best teams in England, then that will ultimately be to the detriment of the rest of the pyramid. Um, so I really hope I haven't opposed this. I don't think they've really come out. They haven't made any sort of statement about it yet, but um, I would like, I would hope that, I mean, I know as well, as well as that, this is, this is after, this is what, a couple of days after the Premier League introduced £15 pay-per-view for fees for you know, individual football matches, which again just seems a really sort of desperate cash grab. Um, so I don't know. I guess just it just reinforces the point that it is it is kind of about profit and it's about money. But um, I don't like I said. I don't mind it. I don't mind changes in some form because I think you can change things for the better the way they are at the moment, but not to this extent and not to these. So not with these sort of measures. I don't think these are improvements. I think they will just weaken competition and, you know, make English football basically just like any other league in terms of you have one or two outright sort of, uh, you know, front runners and then the rest of the league kind of just also runs. Um, and that's not what English football has ever really been about for me. You know, I like the fact that Everton could go from 17th to 4th in one year. That's, you know, where else do you really see that? Um, so I hope I haven't opposed it, and I hope that if they are to make any proposals, if they are to make any reforms, then these proposals are really sort of um, edited pretty heavily before they go through, I think. Yeah, I think, um, you know, you, you mentioned Leicester, even Wolves recently. Those are two teams who wouldn't be included in the voting rights, who have pretty consistently finished in the top nine over the past few years. So, um, you know, like you said, you know, one of the things that's best about English football is the ability to rise and fall. And obviously as an owner, I'm sure that's not the greatest thing, but as a fan watching the, those matches, it's um, it makes it even more exciting and the ability for really any given team to lose or win on any given day. Um, you know, there's a lot of parity across a lot, you know, a lot of this league um, and, you know, just makes it a little bit more exciting. The you know the changes that they're that are proposed in this, um, you know, obviously you guys know a little bit more about it than I do. But you know, I mean, just by reading over it, definitely in agreement with you guys that that this proposal would need changes for it to be, um, you know, viable and make sense for for everybody involved. And you know, we'll see what Everton vote, um, you know, when um, or if they release a statement before the vote or whatnot. Um, but that's it for Everton news. That's it for talking about transfer window. That's it for talking about the international break. Let's get into a little bit of the matches again. Let's get into the match this weekend. Uh, the big one, the one I think we've all been waiting for since uh, we beat Brighton, you know, what, two, almost a week and a half ago now. Um, Saturday, October 17th, the Derby versus Liverpool, 1230 PM British standard time, uh, 730 AM over here on 
the East Coast in America. Um, Liverpool in the Premier League so far have played four. They've won three. Their most recent game was a 7-2 loss to Aston Villa where Ollie Watkins had a hat trick, I think, in that game. Um, I, so, uh, you know, a pretty pretty bad drubbing by at the hands of Villa, who are currently – are Villa in second place? Or tied for the, only, the only other team, aside from us, to have 100% record. Yeah. But they played, no. they played a game less than us, so. Yeah, yes, yes, you're right. Um, yes. Um, so, um, Liverpool won three, lost one. Uh, the last meeting between these two sides was June 21st, 2020. Um, it was a 0-0 draw. Uh, the last three Goodison derbies have been 0-0 draws. Um, Allen and Gomez will probably be back if they're fit. Um you know, what's our opinion on the starting lineup? How you think we'll line up? Do we think we have everybody as long as there's no more injury news, I guess, going into the weekend? I think so. I would, I would, I would just be uh, of a mind to kind of go with the same team that's worked in the Premier League so far. I think, you know, maybe the one place that's up for debate is whether you stick with Gilfrey Sigurdsson, who's had a better start to the season, um, or if you go with Andrew Gilmers. Um, if he's back, he'll, I think he's done pretty well and looks a lot closer to the player that we know he can be in the in the Premier League this season. Um, I would probably go with Gomez if he's if he's fit, um, just because um, again, you know, if it's not fit, if it's not broken, don't fix it. And um, I would definitely, obviously, throw Alan back in. I think we need we certainly for a derby we need someone with Alan's kind of tenacity in that midfield. Um, Obviously, Richarlison, if he's fully fit, he would start straight away. Um, other than that, I think you'd probably go with the same team. I'd imagine, I'd, the, the the interesting thing about this game for me is whether uh, whether Liverpool's defeat last time kind of lulls Everton into maybe a bit of a false sense of security in terms of they think they can maybe take Liverpool on it a bit more than they have done in previous derby. We saw like in that June derby how sort of Quite how we you know Evans' defensive line was pretty low in that game. They defended really well, really resolutely, kept Liverpool out. Um, probably, maybe should have won that game with the chances they had. Um, but as as a general rule, the last few derbies Everton have been pretty conservative. So it'll be interesting to see whether you know, Ancelotti opt for the same sort of um, mantra again this time, considering the defeat they just had, the amount of goals they just let in. Um, I would probably be tempted just to stick with what's worked before and just stick with maybe that low defensive line. I think that will may mostly compensate for Keane Amina's lack of pace against their front three as well, uh, playing slightly deeper than usual. Um, and you know you would expect a response from Liverpool as well after the after the defeat they just had. So um, I I would not. I don't think Ancelotti is going to be so naive as to think, well, they should be getting seven two before we can go out and take them on at their own game. Because I think you will see a reaction from Liverpool. Um, and you'll, they'll obviously be up for it because it's a derby as well. So um, I don't think fighting fire with fire is the way to go with this one. I think you want to be a bit, you know, you still want to err slightly on the side of caution just because of how good Liverpool can be. Um, and ultimately, if we get a draw out of this, I think it's still a decent result for Evan considering how good Liverpool for the most part have been you know just that one defeat in the last game that they had which maybe muddies the water a bit um, but I think if Evan 
draw this one again. It's you got to say it's a decent result. Because I mean, our, our record against Liverpool is signed from anything else. Yeah. yeah, well, I think if, um, on Saturday, I think it's already been flagged that it'd be exactly 10 years since we last beat Liverpool home or away, which is pretty, <laughs> pretty terrible um, against any team. Like, I know Liverpool have done well in recent years, but that's just woeful. Um, I think I mentioned it earlier in the pod. I think the international break and the timing of it is a bit of a curveball because you just don't know how Rodriguez and Mina and Charleston might be flying from South America, only really having maybe one day's training on the Friday and then straight into a game on the Saturday. I know it's the same for both teams, so it just depends how um, those players react to being away of the club, the t- countries and then back. Um, I think you're right, Matthew, that Liverpool will be looking to respond. That Villa game, I've not seen a game like it. It was just... Villa could have scored probably 11 or 12 because they looked like they were going to score every time they went forward. I've not seen Liverpool play like that ever, I don't think. Um, so they get, they'll get probably have I think Mane's back in training, Thiago and Henderson could play. So that will bolster them significantly. Um, could be a tale of two goalkeepers as well because Pickford yeah. uh, <laughs> or Alisson, you know, who's going to make the more mistakes? Um, Alisson, Alisson not playing as he's injured. Sorry, um, Adrian. Adrian. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah, Alison's out to Adrian. Um, so, but I, I think just psychologically, if we could get a win, it would mean, certainly to the fans, it makes it would make such a huge difference because um, you, you just exercise a few demons. I think we've seen when we go into these derbies, it doesn't matter whether we've been playing well or Liverpool have been playing badly. Um, it just hasn't hasn't happened and they've been rabbit in the headlights. Um January in the FA Cup being sort of the prime example. So um, we've seen already that there's signs in this team that you know there's a change of attitude and there's a standard, a higher standard expected of all the players. Um, so if they can get a win on Saturday, I think that would. Yeah. It's been a millstone around the neck for too long. It would, I think, be one of the most significant results uh, under Ancelotti. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying, by the way, that we should go out to draw. Obviously, I think. Um, no, no. I think we can beat Liverpool. I just think. Considering we have this kind of mental block, which I mean, um, you'd like to think Ancelotti can um, eradicate, he already has kind of with that top six mental block by winning at Tottenham. But um, you know, our record against Liverpool is horrendous, and um, you know, I would I would suggest that that Villa game is probably a bit of a free in terms of feels like a very one-off game. Doesn't feel like that will become the norm for Liverpool. Um, it was just kind of crazy mad. Game, but it feels very sort of isolated incident for them, isn't it? Yeah. Um, having said that, I mean their defence has looked slightly more shaky. I think you know Leeds obviously put three past them um, at the start of the season, as well as Villa. So, and obviously they've lost Alisson and Adrian. Is uh, I felt sorry for him in a way because I don't think there wasn't much he could do about any of the goals. I didn't think it's Villa, but he's obviously not on the same level as Alisson. Um, Although he does seem to play a lot of the derbies against. I think he played at least two of them last year. So, um, it's I don't know. It's a really hard game to call just because you don't know what you're going to get from Liverpool. You don't know what you're going to get from Everton in some ways. Um, I guess on balance, you'd have to say you are. I am more confident than usual because I normally couldn't be any less confident about derbies. But um, <laughs> at the same time, if I'm not again, I'm not saying Everton should play for a point. I'm just saying I would be 
fairly content if we if we emerge from this with our unbeaten run still intact. Um, you know, and, a, and another point on the board. Yeah, I think um, you know. With those games, those seven two games, uh, even with like a you know a bad team, I feel like those type of games tend to highlight the um, deficiencies the team has or, or the problems the team has. And you know, I feel like the international break probably couldn't come couldn't have come at a worse time for Everton and couldn't have come at a better time for Liverpool um, in the yeah. sense that now they can work on all those deficiencies. Klopp's got had two weeks to break down the film, look at what went wrong, and figure out how to fix it. Um, which obviously you can, but obviously a lot of the players aren't there because they're on international duty as well. So, well, yeah, but you know, he'll yeah, have probably, an idea, yeah, 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 how you know what went wrong and what needs to be better. Um, yeah, as opposed to you know, if he only had one week, he'd have less time to look at that. Um, but he would have those players in, but um, you know, obviously being unbeaten so far, having a hundred percent record, um that definitely gives you a little bit more confidence than I think in, in typical years. Um, I think Gomez definitely will start. I know that Ancelotti said he would have started the last game if it was Sunday or, or uh, Monday. So, um, or at least played in the last game. So, um, you know, I think he'll start and I think Matthew, you're right. I think we just go with the same lineup, um, go with what's working right now. And if we can get a win here, that would be a huge confidence, huge confidence boost. Again, as you guys both have mentioned, getting that mental block out of the way, um, just another step in the right direction and kind of breaking down what we currently are, the mindset of this team currently, um, and, um, you know, getting it to a point where it's like, okay, we can go to these places and we can win games and, 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 and we can compete. So um, definitely will be, I'm sure, a nail biter as most Goodison Darbies are and most Darbies are to be quite honest. Um, definitely be a nail biter. Definitely be a close one. Uh, predictions guys, Tom, we'll start with you. Well, you're never going to get me predicting Everton to win a Derby. So, <laughs> uh, I'd be more confident, uh, when we hear the team news, but, uh, I'm going to go given both teams are stronger going forward than the around. I'm going to go for two, two. I think it'll be a good game. Oh, I was gonna say two two as well. Same. <laughs> I don't think it'll be. I don't think it'll be nil nil again. I'll tell you that much. No, um, I think it'll be a much more open game. Um, but again, like I said, it'll be interesting at Liverpool because they obviously play with a pretty high line because they, you know, they have the quality, I guess, to make up for that with mm. Van Dijk and Allison in the back, and then obviously their their forward line has been so prolific um, that they can kind of take that risk of playing such a high line. Whether they'll be Slightly more cautious, given how free scoring Everton have been, and given how how shaky they looked at the back against Villa, will be interested. But um, I, again, I think I said I'd like to see us go out and at least try and win this because I think we can beat them. But if we if we were to draw, I think I'd be pretty content with that. And still top of the league, probably. I think um, still unbeaten. You know, not a terrible result given the quality Liverpool still have. So yeah, I need a two-two as well. I think. Yeah, I th- I, that's what I was going with. I was going with two-two um, as well. I think it was. You know, I think that's a pretty. Uh, I don't know. It feels feels pretty possible two-two just because you expect Everton to concede a couple goals, um, and you probably expect Liverpool to concede at least one. Um, 
but I think I think Everton going forward, if they continue in this way, I think in the way that they've been playing, I think they they've got a good shot at, uh, of scoring two against this Liverpool defense. Um, so, you know, obviously none of us confident enough to predict a win, which is okay because. Well, that's, that's what 10 years of a derby win does. Yeah. They've won the top of the league. They won every single game this season. Liverpool yeah. got hammered half time out, and we still don't think they're going to win. So. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But I hey, listen, it's going to be an exciting game. It's going to be, I mean, I think for the first time ever, all of us can agree that it'll be exciting to see Everton on the pitch again. I'm sure we've, you know, when, when the international break came, it was like, oh man, uh, you know, I wish I had, <laughs> I wish we, we had another week of this. Um, you know, we, we can watch again next week, but it's back. We're back this weekend, 7.30 a.m. over here, 12.30 p.m. over um, British Standard Time. It's going to be a great match, um, and we'll, we'll see how it goes. Hopefully we, we come out with, like Matthew said, at least a point. Um, anything else you guys want to hit on before we wrap this thing up? Uh, just enjoy getting up at half seven again, Gino, for uh, <laughs> another early kickoff. We got. Oh, oh yeah, it'll be it'll be so much fun. Um, <laughs> always good to be able to listen. I'm not in California and having to wake up at four thirty in the morning mm-hmm. to watch it live. So um, you got all day to celebrate after we've you know you got the whole day yeah. ahead of you to celebrate when we. Well, we it's it's, it's actually my, my fiance's birthday is that day, so it's kind of good that it's seven thirty a.m. It gets out of the way before she'll probably be, you know, she'll probably still be resting whatnot. So, um, you know, it's it's it, it kind of gets it out of the way, and then you know, no matter what happens, I'll have a distraction either way from you know, <laughs> either disappointment or excitement. So, yeah. we'll see how it plays out. Yeah. But um, Tom, thank you for joining us again. We appreciate having you on. No problem. Thanks for having me. Matthew, as always, thank you to you. Um, Thank you to the fans out there for listening. Um, For you guys, please make sure you like, you subscribe if you like this episode or any of our past episodes so you can get that download and and get an update when when each episode is is released. Um, That's all we have for today. Talk to you guys next time.